Well, welcome back, or if it's first time, man, I'm glad you're here. We are finishing up a series we're calling A Good Start, where all month long for this month in January, we have been looking at specific habits that you can build into your life that are going to help you get each and every morning off to a good start. And even habits that not just help in the morning, but over time are going to help you follow Jesus. And that's the whole point of this, is to build these habits in your life so that you can grow and mature in that relationship. And those foundational habits we've been talking about are prayer, uh, scripture reading, and last week, silence and solitude. And when we look at all of those, they're foundational, but when they come together, something special happens. And that's what we've kind of been pushing this series, is not that you would see prayer as a thing to do, and scripture reading as a thing to do, and silence as a thing to do, but that you would begin to look at all of those as a time that you can have in every morning to begin your day, a time of silence spent in prayer and scripture reading. And so what we're going to look at today is the fusion of all of these things coming together, and that's the habit of worship. Now, it may seem weird to talk about worship as a habit, right? But when we incorporate the habits of prayer and scripture reading together in periods of silence and solitude to hear from the Lord, that is worship. That's the worship that we're talking about. So worship is a habit. Uh, I have this quote from a blog called Everyday Discipleship that I thought was really helpful for me to get my mind around what I'm talking about when I'm talking about worship as a habit or as a spiritual discipline. This is what it says. To understand worship as a spiritual discipline is to first and foremost understand that music is just one expression of worship. All too often we associate the songs we sing on Sunday with worship, and all too rarely do we stop to think about what worship truly is all about. It is also important to remember that we as humans can and do worship many things, including other gods. As a result, it is important for us as we talk about worship as a spiritual discipline to always remember the object of our worship, Jesus Christ, matters. So a couple things in there that I think are really helpful when we think about worship as a habit. Number one, worship is not just music. Worship is not just singing. Worship is just not a moment in a Sunday service, but worship is so much more than that. And not only that, but that worship is something that we as humans naturally do. We're going to worship other things than God, sometimes without even realizing it, by giving it our attention and our affection and by valuing it above God in our lives. And so when we begin to understand worship in a more encompassing way, it helps us see the importance of building worship as a habit into our life, specifically worship that is directed toward Jesus. So in our time of the scripture this morning, we're going to look at one verse that kind of helps reframe that idea of worship away from just a period of singing in church, but really look at that encompassing view of what worship is. And we're going to look at it, just one verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open it up there. If you got your app, use that. If you need to pause this, go find that. Totally fine. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. 
Now, this verse is probably a verse that if you've been around church for a long time, you've heard before. And I think the reason we come to this verse so often is it does help us reframe this idea of worship. It's more than singing. It's more than a time uh, of music in our church services. But what Paul says here is that worship is presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's what worship is. But even more than that, we get a better understanding of this when when we look at where this verse comes in the book of Romans. What I mean by that is this. Romans is one of the most theologically rich books that we have in our Bible. It does such a fantastic job of shaping our understanding of the gospel that every believer needs to spend significant time in the book of Romans. And what you'll find if you do that is from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11, Paul lays out the richness and depth of the gospel, who Jesus is, what he's done, what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be adopted into God's family, what his spirit does on our behalf. Nothing can separate us. All of these things. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, after he's covered all of that, Paul says, therefore, because of all of these things, in view of the mercies of God that we just covered in those 11 chapters, It is your reasonable service to worship. It is your reasonable service to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now that idea, reasonable service, is not exactly how the CSB translates this, but you're going to see a lot of different translations uh, for uh, the specific wording in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, if you're looking at other Bibles. Uh, But the heart behind it, the idea behind it, is made plain by uh, an early uh, pastor named John Knox. This is what he says, Worship is what is due from us as rational creatures. So what he's saying is this, when you understand who God is, when you understand all that God has done, worship is our rational response to God. In view of everything that he's done, it is entirely fitting that we give ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. And that idea of a living sacrifice is kind of cool, right? Because what Paul is doing is he is reshaping the idea of sacrifice that we find in the Old Testament. If you look in the Old Testament, maybe the most uh, picturesque sacrifice would be when a lamb was slaughtered and then that ram or that lamb's body was placed on an altar and it would be lit on fire and the fire would consume it and that would be an offering to God. But here, what Paul's doing is taking that idea of a da- dead sacrifice and, and flipping it on its head. Now it's a living sacrifice. So unlike the Old Testament sacrifice that was put on an altar and consumed by fire, the sacrifice of our lives are placed on the altar and brought to life by the fire and power of the Spirit in our life. So we lay down who we are. Our old self is dead, and now we are brought to new life. In Jesus. That is a living sacrifice. And so I think when we kind of understand this, it, it all goes together to help us reshape our understanding of worship. So, so what I want to do in our time together right now is just kind of help reshape your understanding of worship. Uh, number one, I want to talk about the priority of worship. See, one thing that you have to understand, like Knox said, is worship is our rational response as human beings to who God is and what he's done. But more than that, worship is God's call on the life of every single one of us. 
Okay. If you've ever wondered if God has a will for your life, he does. It's worship. If you ever wondered if God ever has something he desires from you, he does. It's worship. If you've ever wondered if you, God has a direction for you to go in your life, he does. It must include worship. Worship is God's call on our lives. It is our purpose. It is his plan. We are made to worship. Now, at the orchard, we talk a lot about our mission to impact lostness, that we want to move the needle on people who are going to spend eternity with Jesus here in the North Central Florida area. And so we talk a lot about mission. We talk a lot about evangelism. We talk a lot about impacting lostness, but that is not done in such a way that we want to put worship in the back seat. Matter of fact, I love how Pastor John Piper puts it. John Piper says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So our mission at the orchard exists only because there are people still out there in our family who are our friends, people we work with, people we go to school with, people that we see at the ball fields. There are people who don't experience true worship having been changed by Jesus and brought to new life in him. And so that's why our mission exists, so that they with us can worship Jesus. And that takes us to the second thing, not just the priority of worship, but, but the object of our worship, right? Because when we're talking about worship, we're not just talking about a general thing. We're talking about worship that is due to God, worship that we give to Jesus. Worship uh, is directed somewhere, right? We have an object of our worship. Our worship is to God as a, resp- as a response for who he is and what he's done. Now, this is, this is very important, right? Because I'm, I'm going to slow down here. It seems to me like although that should be very elementary when it comes to worship, it's something that we often take for granted and accidentally lose. See, worship is not just a celebration of an experiential emotional high. Worship is not just the warm fuzzies you get when the lights hit just right and the musicians are doing a great job and the singers are on key and you're in this room with a bunch of people and you, you get these warm fuzzies. That, that's, that's, not, that's not worship. Now, worship can include that, but that's not just what worship is. See, worship, above all, is a directed response to Jesus, Worship cannot end with us. Worship is not about us. Worship has to move beyond us to Jesus. We do not worship our worship. And I think sometimes I see us kind of fall into that, that we worship the experience, that we leave there saying, worship was so good. Worship's not good. God is good. It is good to worship, you know? You know, it's kind of that same idea, and we've talked about this before at the Orchard, of having faith in our faith. Look, it's not the amount of our worship. It's not the strength of our worship. It's not the size of our faith. It is the object that is important, and that object is Jesus. Worship is not just some event. It is a response. Now, in fairness, worship is grounded in an event, But the event that our worship is grounded in is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because Jesus is the object of our worship. So then, 
The next thing is the act of our worship. If worship is directed toward Jesus, then what is that? Well, worship is very literally our act of ascribing worth or value to Jesus. Okay? Now, now this is important. If you look at, and we, and we won't, but if you look at the Latin word for worship, it comes from the idea of ascribing value to something, right? When we give something value. And so when we worship, we are ascribing value to Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And we do that through our words. We do that through our time. We do that through our attention. We do that through our affection. We do that through our energy. We worship by valuing Jesus above all else. But the problem is, a lot of times the way that we value Jesus is not by valuing him above all else, it's by valuing him to get something else. And what I mean is there's two different kinds of value. There is a functional value that we give things and an intrinsic value that we give things. Now, the functional value we give things would be something like, you know, you value your phone charger. Not because it has inherently a ton of intrinsic value, but without the value of your phone charger, you can't use your phone, right? It has to be charged. So there's a functional value there. I'm afraid what happens a lot of time is is that we don't worship Jesus because of the intrinsic value of who he is and what he's done for us already, but we worship Jesus in order to use him to get something else, We see Jesus as just a functional piece that gets us what we ultimately want. And if we are in our worship ascribing functional value to Jesus, that's not worship. It has to be ascribing to him an intrinsic value that he alone has. See, what worship is, is worship is an act of willful submission to our worthy king. Where we come before him and say, Jesus, I don't want anything else. I just want you. Jesus, I'm not here to praise anything else. I'm here to just praise you. Jesus, I'm not here to get anything else. I'm just here to get more of you. It's an act of submission. And because of that, there can be no pride in our worship. I think so often there is pride that really does creep in. I'm not just talking about pride on the stage. Look, that's a thing. But I'm talking about pride even in the seats of churches we worship. There are some who, one, when they worship, they worship so expressively and over the top, and they do it at the very front so that everybody looks at them and says, wow, look at how they worship. And it's all about pride. But I would say that that's far less common than the pride that keeps so many of us from worshiping. Well, Chip, I just don't sing. Why not? Is God not worth it? Well, no, I just, don't, I just don't do it. Why? Because your pride's getting in the way. Well, Chip, I'm just not like everybody. No, it's your pride getting in the way. And when it comes to worship, there can be no pride. It's like King David, as he sang and danced and praised the Lord, and he was confronted and said, David, that's not how you ought to conduct yourself. He said, watch it, because I'm going to become even more undignified than this. He had no pride when it came to worshiping his king. But maybe the most important thing we can talk about is the ultimate result of our worship. Because what we're trying to get out of worship is not wanting something from God. It is wanting more of God. But it's not 
doing that in some way that we're looking for a feeling or an emotional high when we leave our time of worship, whether it's in church on Sundays or at the beginning of every morning. It's not a feeling that we're looking for. See, the ultimate result of worship has to be obedience. Worship leads to obedience. And ultimately, that obedience leads to God's glory. I want you to hear this, that that worship is not something that's simply meant to soothe our calm or uh, help encourage us. Worship's not there uh, just to soothe us. Worship is there to change us. Worship is there to transform us more into the image of Jesus. I like what author Richard Foster says. He says, Holy obedience saves worship from becoming an opiate, an escape from the pressing needs of modern life. And I get that, you know, like when, when your week is, is spun out of control, when you're stressed out, when you're overwhelmed, when you're burdened, there can be such a feeling of relief and peace that comes from worship, but it's not that feeling that is the ultimate result. If the feeling was the ultimate result, Foster would be right, then our worship would just be an opiate, but that's not what it is because it is that feeling that propels us to trust that God is in control, that he has given us his word, and that we can be obedient to him and live changed life. See, worship leads to obedience, and if obedience is not the result, it has not been worship. And so... That's why this habit is so important in our lives. That that time of public worship every week, yes, but that time of private worship every day, where in silence and solitude you go before the throne with prayer, reading and studying the scriptures, it changes our lives to look more like Jesus. So a couple things. I want to leave you with, because we've really tried to make these very practical messages in the series. So let me give you some practical things to chew on, take away as we've talked about worship today. Number one, make worship, both corporate worship and private worship, a priority in your life. Make worship a part of who you are and what you do. That involves, yes, getting to church on Sunday. But it involves so much more than that. It involves building this rhythm, these habits into your life every single day. And so as you kind of think about what that looks like, let me ask you this. What is getting in the way of your worship right now? What's getting in the way of you being in church on Sundays? Right? Because worshiping with other believers, man, that is a a, a peak of heaven that we don't get a clearer picture of this side of eternity. When we gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ on Sunday mornings to worship, that is the closest glimpse of heaven we're going to have this side of eternity. Richard Foster, again, he says this, To worship is to know, to feel, and to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of the gathered community. It is the breaking into the Shekinah of God, or better yet, being invaded by the Shekinah of God. When we gather together to worship, God dwells in the midst of the praise of his people. What's keeping you from being with the church to worship on Sunday? But also, what's keeping you from worshiping every day? What's keeping those moments of scripture reading and prayer and silence from being truly worshiped? Why do they just always feel like boxes to check? I'm not here to give you the answers. I'm here to ask the question, what's getting in the way of your worship? And one last thing, very practically, not just make corporate and private worship a priority, but to ground your worship in the character of God 
not the experience of the moment. Now this is huge. Because the feelings that you have and the circumstances of your life are going to always change. And if your worship is based on your feeling or circumstances, it's going to change and ebb and flow as well. But when you can get to the point of your life that your worship truly is a response to God, ascribing value to Him above all else, then you can ground your worship in His character and that will not change. So can you do that? Can you take worship beyond an event or an experience? Look, those are not necessarily bad things. And if that's what you think I'm saying, you've missed it. But I'm saying worship has to be more than those experiences and events. Your worship has to be a moment between you and God where you are valuing Him above all else. And that valuing Him above all else leads to a life of obedience that looks like Jesus. Let me leave you with one last quote from from Richard Foster. He has so much good stuff on worship. But he says this, Worship begins in holy expectancy, and it ends in holy obedience. And I think that is a great challenge for us as we seek to get every morning off to a good start. That tomorrow morning, when you wake up, that moment that you have set aside for prayer, for scripture reading, in silence as worship, is a moment where you go into it with a holy expectancy that you are going to meet with God. And then that time each morning ends having met with God and leading to obedience throughout the day. That is how you get your day off to a good start. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for the time that you've given us today and in this series. God, and I pray it really would transform our mornings that there would be those moments every morning that we meet with you to worship in silence, in prayer, reading the scriptures, and that our time with you would lead to us being changed, being transformed to look more like Jesus as we leave that time and go into our day. God, I pray that you would bless us. God, I pray that you would keep us close. God, I pray that you would draw us to your word and that you would help us to live transformed lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.